I'm Sean McKenna, and you're listening to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. Okay, it's a bit humid out, but summer is supposed to be ending, so let me ask you a question. What was your song of the summer? Overseas, people have been telling me that it was Kali Minogue's Padam Padam and SZA's Kill Bill. In Japan, I think it's pretty much unanimous that Yoasobi had the summer song on lock with Idol. But another track that's been in the background of many TikToks and on streaming lists has been Legalize It by Masataka and Saya Takagi. Now, according to the track's website, main rapper Masataka, also known as the Medical Marijuana Doctor, got in touch with Saya Takagi for the collaboration. Takagi is a former actress who, after the earthquake and tsunami of 2011, pivoted to activism and eventually ran for an upper house seat on a pledge to legalize medical marijuana. She was unsuccessful in that endeavor and was later arrested on possession of the drug, which she denies belonged to her. She was given a suspended sentence and now lives on Ishigaki Island and runs an inn called Nijinomame, which loosely translates as Bean of Rainbow. Anyway, back to legalize it. Takagi apparently turned 60 this year and wanted to use music to talk about her life. And she's finding an audience on internet platforms that young Japanese are keen on. At the same time, a report was released this summer that found an increase in cannabis use from those aged 10 to 29 in Japan, a figure that's been rising since 2014. Also this summer, a minor scandal unfolded at Nihon University over alleged cannabis use among the members of the school's football team. On today's show, We'll talk to Japan Times reporter Yukana Inoue and our health and sciences reporter Tomoko Otake about the football scandal and Japanese attitudes toward cannabis. I'm joined in the studio with Japan Times reporter Yukana Inoue and health and sciences writer Tomoko Otake to talk a little more about this recent cannabis scandal at Nihon University. Tomoko, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you for having me. And Yukana, your first visit. Welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love Deep Dive. Well, thank you very much. Let's start with <laughs> you then.、Um, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about Nihon University? Right. So, Nihon University is an old school.、Um, it was founded in 1889 as Nihon Law School, but law is just one of the many colleges there now.、Um, it has more than 70,000 students, which makes it the largest in Japan. Some of the famous graduates there include writers Banana Yoshimoto and C.W. Nicol. So, what went down at the university this summer? So, back in August, we reported that a few of the students on the American football team were caught with what seems to be a small amount of marijuana.、Um, that caused the Tokyo Metropolitan Police to launch an investigation on them. I've mentioned this on the podcast before.、Um, I'm Canadian, and the use of marijuana there has been legal for those over the age of 18 since 2018. You can also sell cannabis there. And last time I went back to Canada,、uh, I immediately noticed the pretty large amount of cannabis shops in Toronto and even in small towns. Elsewhere, after Minnesota moved to legalize marijuana for recreational use for those over 21 in June, which is effective in 2025. Uh, that brings the US total to 23 states in addition to DC, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Guam, which all kind of you know, regulate marijuana use in some way.、Uh, and also last year, Thailand made cannabis legal for possession,、um, sale, and home cultivation for those over 20. 
anyone listening, always do your own research before you go to these places, though. Don't just depend on what I'm saying here right now. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Japan is not the same. Okay. Um, in Japan, take note, everyone, the use of possession of cannabis is punishable by up to five years in prison and a fine. Cultivation, sale, and transport are punishable by between seven to ten years in prison and a fine. Okay, so just say yeah. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Where did that leave the football players at Nihon University? Well, upon further investigation, police also found traces of stimulants along with cannabis, and they traced it back to one individual player, a 21-year-old. Um, in the meantime, three male students, all of them 20, at Asahi University in Gifu Prefecture, um, around the same time were also arrested on suspicion of selling marijuana for profit. They all belonged to the school's rugby team. And there was another case of possession at Tokyo University of Agriculture. That person belonged to a boxing club. What's going on with uh, college sports in Japan? Okay, so it's not just sports. Um, there have been non-athlete charged with possession too, like four college students between the age of 18 and 19 who were allegedly caught with liquid cannabis extract in Hukoka. Tomoko, you wrote a piece on this topic titled Navigating Japan's Maze of Cannabis-Related Laws. And one of the surprising things I learned from that piece is that the cannabis control law does not contain a specific reference to use of marijuana. Why is that? Isn't that sending mixed signals on a zero tolerance policy? Yeah. So first of all, the Nihon University student was also charged with possession of stimulants. So those would be things like amphetamines and methamphetamine. That's right. Right. They're clearly banned under the stimulants control law. Okay, the stimulants control law, right. What a lot of people may not know is that Japan has a long tradition of cannabis farming. So for centuries, hemp has been grown for fiber, and it was also used in clothing, ropes at Shinto shrines, and fishing nets. Also, shichimitogarashi, which is a popular spice, also contains hemp seed. So there are cannabis farmers, although their number has been declining, uh-huh. and a loophole was created in the 1948 cannabis law to allow them to continue their work because they may accidentally inhale the cannabis they grow. Accidentally? Yes, accidentally when they harvest it. Okay. What I found interesting is that the cannabis control law even extends to Japanese nationals living in or visiting countries where the possession or use of cannabis is legal. So if a Japanese citizen, say, travels to Canada and partakes in a joint, maybe at a Drake show, they could be prosecuted. Is there any real way to prosecute something like that? Do you know of any cases? No, I haven't heard of any case where a Japanese national is arrested for their pot use in countries where it's legal. I haven't heard of Japanese authorities going after or randomly testing Japanese people about their cannabis use abroad either. When Canada legalized marijuana back in 2018, a freelance writer and law expert, Colin P.A. Jones, wrote a piece for the Japan Times about that very topic titled, Jail in Japan for Cannabis in Canada? Possible but Unlikely. He looked more broadly at Japanese citizens committing other crimes abroad, uh, specifically focusing on the case of suspected wife murderer Kazuyoshi Miura. So in that case, Miura had reported that thugs had killed his wife in Los Angeles. And when he was back in Japan, police received new evidence that he may have been involved in procuring those thugs. I, I don't want to take the podcast off track with this, but he ends up behind bars and is then acquitted and starts suing the media for presenting him as quote-unquote guilty, specifically mentioning that he was shown in handcuffs on TV. So apparently, because of him, handcuffs on Japanese television are now blurred. 
So congratulations. Was he free? <laughs> well, or? in Japan, but he went to Saipan where he was then arrested by American authorities on the same conspiracy charge and extradited to LA where he committed suicide while in jail. So I guess the moral of that story besides murder is bad is that Mira's prosecution in Japan was possible because of the extraterritorial application of some of this country's criminal laws. So if you want to get into the weeds on this, no pun intended, I suggest reading Colin Jones' story. He's really good at explaining Japanese law, and he does go into how this would apply to the idea of, you know, kind of consuming marijuana abroad in a place where it is legal. It's important to note that the Mira story that I just told, I mean, Murder is also illegal in other countries, so it's kind of like a m more black and white issue. Um, it could be different with uh, doing something that is legal in another country. That's right. So even though the Japanese uh, government bans the possession of marijuana and say that the, it's going to apply to people uh, using the pot uh, overseas, yeah, it's probably unlikely that the police is going to go after people um, using the marijuana in Canada, for example, because the uh, use or possession of marijuana there isn't illegal. So I read this um, blog written by a lawyer um, where they talk about the legality of um, cannabis use in foreign countries where it's legal. And even though the Japanese law says that the law is applicable in a foreign land, in theory, it can be prosecuted, but in practice, it's probably quite tough to implement. Mm. So the government is actually looking at revising the cannabis law to make the use, not just possession, of marijuana punishable as well. Do we have any idea of when that kind of would be revised? Uh, so I think the government is preparing a bill to submit to the next parliamentary session, which could convene in mid-October. Yukana, getting back to the Nihon University saga, what happens next? Right. So drug use is a big deal in Japan. Um, not only are there actual laws against it, but socially there seems to be a whole different attitude towards drug use here than in other cultures. Maybe I should say Western cultures. Mm -hmm. So the chairperson of the board of trustees, Mariko Hayashi, has to apologize on behalf of the students. Um, she's joined at the press conference that was held in August by President Takeo Sakai and Deputy President Yasuhiro Sawada, um, who was previously a prosecutor. So they tried to handle the investigation on their own before involving the police, and they had to explain themselves at the press conference as to why um, it took them so long to come to the police and that they weren't trying to cover anything up. Okay. It was also learned that the parents of the students has raised concerns about possible cannabis use among the team, like late last year. Mm. But when the officials told the police, um, according to the deputy president, they couldn't really find any evidence at the point of last year. Mm. Um, so they just had police come to hold lectures about the dangers of drugs use and things like that um, in order to educate the students about marijuana usage. So the initial response to this news was that the entire team was suspended from participating in any football-related activities, including practices. And this was as they were approaching the upcoming season. Was that a bit harsh, considering it was just one person who was eventually charged? 
Right. So the suspension was lifted five days after it went into effect. Um, but upon further investigation, the police were looking at four other members, um, questioning them on a voluntary basis. Okay. Then at the start of this month, the school again suspended the entire team for any activities because they concluded that there might be a drug culture that's beyond the individual that was arrested in August. Hmm. I mean, how big is the team? Is it fair to suspend everyone? So I actually wrote a piece on this about Japan's culture of collective responsibility, um, which is when you have an entire team take the blame for the actions of a few people. Mm. Um, so collective responsibility is a concept that has been in and around in Japan for a while. Um, it goes back to the Edo period, according to Mitsuharu Omine, a Mayo University professor who specializes in the topic. Um, he said that back then, groups of households were held accountable for each other's actions and had to take responsibility if any of them, say, like, failed to pay their taxes. Hmm. So while it may seem like it's an unfair way of punishing a group of students, those people who are for collective responsibility points out cases where there is a conspicuous culture of drug use or maybe bullying, um, situations in which others could turn a blind eye. So the idea behind collective responsibility is to push everyone involved to change the culture. Does everyone feel this way? No. Sports journalist Nobuya Kobayashi disagrees, and he gave me an example of how collective responsibility was used with regards to Koshien, the National High School Baseball Championship, where if any member of the team committed an offense, regardless of their commitment or involvement in the team, would be punished because maybe they were caught underage drinking or smoking, then the entire team would have to be disqualified from the tournament. Hmm. Um, and that could affect those students who are trying to get a professional career in baseball. Yeah, I don't know if it's fair for high school kids to be acting as the cops on their teams. It works in theory, right? But it's doubtful that a high schooler would want to be, you know, kind of seen as a rat, even if it affects them personally. Yeah, and it seems like the sports world is held to a much stricter standard when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, Professor Omine pointed out that many people seem to be aware of the sex abuse allegations surrounding Johnny Kitagawa. That was uh, Johnny Kitagawa who founded one of the biggest talent agencies in Japan. We talked about him on last week's podcast. Right. And Omine points out that one player has a small amount of pot and the entire team gets punished. Hmm. Well, the entertainment industry hasn't taken responsibility for its role in turning a blind eye toward the sex abuse rumors that have been circulating the industry for decades. Um, he also points out that while going to prison or paying a fine are things that can eventually be paid off, the student who committed the crime has to bear the burden for the rest of their life mm. that they may have ruined their teammates' sports career. Right. And he says that has absolutely no educational value. You know, when listening to Yukana speak about the people caught with marijuana, one thing that they all seem to have in common is their age. So it's pretty standard between 18 and 21, the college years. Tomoko, what is happening with the youth of today? I wish I knew. I'm a mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, to back up this idea, uh, a recent report found that many young people have been involved in cannabis-related offenses, and reasons for this include the fact that cannabis is cheaper than stimulants, and a number of other countries have legalized it. Right. So this study is according to the National Police Agency, and it reported that 
of the 5,342 people involved with cannabis or cannabis-related acts, 70% of them were between the ages of 10 and 29. Hmm. They're saying that this number has been increasing since 2014 and it hit a peak in 2021, but it still seems to be rising. Right. And in 2013, it seemed that the stimulants were more the problem, but that has decreased, and now cannabis is the issue. So stimulants were used to be really popular with, with kids, I guess. That's right. But I hear that uh, now it's like a middle-aged men's drug. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So in a survey of offenders, around one-third of those under 30 said that they got cannabis via the internet. Hmm. Many of them saying social media was how they got it. Others in the same age group said that they discovered it through friends and acquaintances, and many of them said that they tried it out of curiosity and without any sense of guilt. What is Japan's stance on medical products made with cannabis? So currently, medical products made from cannabis are illegal in Japan, making it the only G7 country to ban them. But the government is perhaps looking to legalize those kinds of medical products in limited settings. One example would be Epidiolex, which is marketed by Ireland's Jazz Pharmaceuticals and approved in the U.S. and Europe. It helps with rare seizure disorders. It's currently uh, going through a clinical trial in Japan. How about CBD? I see those being sold in products here. Right. So CBD and THC are cannabinoids, and it's THC that gives marijuana users the high. That is banned in Japan. So the cannabis law in Japan is actually not aligned with where the research is on cannabis in general. THC is regulated under a different law. And a health ministry panel in 2021 called on the government to ban THC under the cannabis law as well. And while scientists are still learning about CBD, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control has said that it's not impairing. But it can make you sleepy. A lot of people take it for that reason. And there's data that suggests it has an effect on the liver if taken in large quantities. So it could lead to liver damage. And both children and those who are pregnant should also avoid it. We had a podcast a few years back about the rise in CBD being sold in Japan. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if our listeners are interested in learning more about it. Tomoko and Yukana, thanks very much for joining us on Deep Dive. Thanks for having us, Sean. Thank you. An increase in cannabis use isn't the only rising statistic that might have police across the country concerned. Japan is consistently ranked as one of the safest countries in the world, and any kind of headline that threatens to puncture that narrative is often treated in a pretty sensational way. When it was reported that crime was on the rise in Japan back in May, we spoke to Alex K.T. Martin about why there is still nothing to worry about when it comes to safety here in general. Alex... Is crime getting worse in Japan? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, Yes, and the crime rates are on the rise, but no in the sense that they haven't come close to the peak they hit in 2002, when we saw around 2.73 million cases. Mm. But then it kept on decreasing until 2021, when we saw around 568,000 cases. And then last year, we saw the rise. Took us back up to uh, 601,000 cases or so. Okay, there's a lot I want to ask about in that statement. First of all, take us back to 2002. What was going on in Japan at that time? Well, during the late 1990s and the early 2000s, we uh, witnessed 
plenty of gruesome, ghastly crimes, including the uh, the famous 1997 Kobe child murders. Mm. Um, there was the Wakayama curry poisoning of 1998. Uh, then another uh, famous family murder that happened in Tokyo Setagaya Ward. This was in 2000. So the, there was a lot of uh, sort of uh, horrendous things going on that was making the headlines back then. Right. Um, however, uh, the same period also saw a surge in street crime, uh, as well as cases of burglary and uh, property damage. And these actually account for the majority of the crimes that were recorded back then. Right. So we hit a low in 2021, and then crime rates start moving up again. Do we know what caused this? So yeah, there was a dip that maybe came from the pandemic, obviously, uh, from people staying at home. Uh, but the rates that had been going down for about 20 years or so, so the pandemic doesn't have as direct an influence. What could be more telling, perhaps, is that the rise came as we came out of the pandemic, or at least the stronger elements of pandemic-era life, like staying at home, no late-night drinking spots being open, and stuff like that. Do you know how the police managed to get those rates down? Right. So in response, uh, more surveillance cameras were deployed and uh, local crime prevention lectures and neighborhood patrol groups were organized. And in 2003, what's called the uh, Emergency Public Safety Program was launched. This is basically a wide-ranging uh, policy that beefed up police personnel. It also established uh, countermeasures for organized crime, uh, terrorism, and cybercrimes. Meanwhile, uh, Japan's population peaked in 2008 and began shrinking, while the proportion of those uh, 65 and over, uh, they continues to rise as the number of newborn slides. So the fall in crime, um, then, it basically can be explained to a certain extent with the uh, heightening of police presence and Japan's graying demographics. Right, so less people, less criminals, kind of. That's correct. Let's get into this part now. Your piece, Are Rising Crime Rates in Japan Cause for Alarm?, it made the assertion that crime is up, but it's not so much the same kind of stuff that we maybe saw in 2002. That's correct. So a third of the cases reported last year were street crimes. Um, as pedestrian traffic started to increase uh, coming out of the pandemic era, you also saw a rise in the number of, uh, for example, bike thefts and mm -hmm. uh, cases of assault, which went up by, uh, I think, 20.9% and 9.5% uh, year on year, uh, respectively. Cases of assault will include things like bar fights, for example. But then you have what the uh, National Police Agency uh, refers to as serious crimes, uh, which jumped up by 8.1%, I think. This wasn't boosted by a rise in the number of homicides, but rather sexual and indecent assault. Uh, in fact, homicides were down slightly in 2022, and I think it was 853 cases. Hmm. Well, first of all, glad homicides were down, but this rise in sexual in and indecent assault, that's concerning. Over the course of the pandemic, we heard the term shadow pandemic being used. That refers to the notion that the stress of the pandemic would cause domestic abusers to act out more, and due to the lockdown, victims weren't able to escape their abusers. Did this shadow pandemic affect Japan? Yes, um, the same thing happened in Japan, actually. The number of domestic violence consultations rose by uh, 1,454 cases to a total of uh, 84,496 cases in 2022. Hmm. And that's a record high for the 19th consecutive year. Hmm. Um, the number of children referred to child consultation centers is in, in suspected cases of abuse. Uh, that also hit a record high of uh, 115,762, which is uh, up 7.1% from the previous year's number. So that's a, quite a high bump, I think. Yeah. I also spoke to a Professor Fumiharu Yamagata, who is an expert on child welfare, and he pointed out that a lot of cases of child abuse comes from the child having to witness domestic violence and basically the psychological abuse that entails. Mm. 
He also mentioned that in many cases, the parents or perpetrators hide the abuse by presenting themselves on uh, especially social media in particular as living perfect lives. Hmm. Also, of the cases referred to these uh, centers, only 10% of domestic incidents and 1.8% of the child abuse incidents uh, result in arrest. So speaking of social media, uh, your article mentions that another type of crime that is on the rise is cybercrime. So that would be things like ransomware attacks and phishing scams. That's right. Uh, Those rose by 160 to a total of 12,369 cases last year, which is a new record. Hmm. I spoke to one guy from my story who said he uh, fell for a cryptocurrency investment scam in early March after being approached by a woman on uh, social media. Did he say what social media network? Yeah, he did, um, but he asked me not to sort of reveal uh, which one it was. Okay. Um, uh, but anyway, this guy is a doctor, uh, and he transferred uh, nearly 1.5 million yen into a virtual currency exchange platform, but he couldn't re- withdraw those funds. Mm-hmm. He also says he still gets contacted by people trying to get him to invest more, so this is a continuing thing, it seems like. So less high-tech than the special fraud on social media are the cases of special fraud involving the good old-fashioned telephone. Alex, can you explain to us what the ore ore sagi is? Right. So ore ore sagi, which translates to uh, it's me, it's me fraud. Uh-huh. Um, it's been around for quite a while, at least over the past decade, I think. You'd see sign all over the place saying, uh, be careful of ore ore sagi. Yeah, I think I've seen those signs actually at convenience stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you go to a bank ATMs, they would definitely have a little poster saying like, you know, ore ore sagi ni chui. You know, right. be, beware of ore ore sagi, which is essentially targets mostly older people. They receive a phone call by a family member, perhaps a son or a daughter. They would say, Oredayo, Oredayo, it's me, it's me, without actually naming their names. Mm. And uh, whoever's on the other side of the phone call would assume that this person is their their family member. Right. And what happens is they would say, hey, you know, dad, you know, I, I'm in trouble. I got into a car accident and I owe the other guy, you know, uh, five million yen or something like that. Uh-huh. And I need you to sort of deposit this amount to this bank account uh, by 12 p.m. today. Right. Or something like that. And, you know, whoever's on the other side of the call would, you know, be alarmed, you know, especially if this was a person they haven't contacted in quite a while. If it's like an estranged son or daughter, perhaps, okay. they would feel like, okay, okay, I got to do something. They would run to the ATM, deposit the money to this bank account, and which would end up going to them, It's <laughs> to, the, right. to the common. So it's like a fraud scheme that's been going on for quite a while. Um, and strangely, it hasn't decreased. Actually, I think it's uh, the number of these special fraud cases. Um Soared by 20.8% in 2022. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and, and over half, 55.3% were uh, attributed to the Ode Ode Sagi uh, fraud scheme. So it's been a thing and it's still going strong. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Why do you think this is still so common in Japan? I mean, I guess it's tied into what you were talking about earlier with the amount of elderly people. Yeah, definitely. So demographics is a huge reason behind this one, I think, this particular uh, phenomenon. Um, the number of uh, people over 65, um, it's approaching almost a third of the entire population. And I think another factor is that a lot of these older people, um, they live on their own alone and in, right. in small apartments, perhaps in Tokyo or elsewhere. So they're not in contact with their uh, immediate family members or son or daughters or uh, siblings um, on a day-to-day basis. So if they do re- receive a call from someone sort of pretending to be their family members, I guess it's easier for them to be duped into believing that they're actually talking to their family members. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, I guess, you know, kind of the aging demographic has helped Japan kind of lower crime rates over the past 20 years. However, 
you know, that's now led to the idea that they're kind of prime marks to be victims of crime in this kind of like new age. That's correct. Yes. Um, and we can't forget that the, uh, I think the number of crimes uh, perpetrated by uh, the older generation or specifically those 65 and over, uh, these have been pretty high uh, over the past years. Right. So they're both victims and perpetrators, I guess. And it's a natural thing, you know, because if you have the third of the population uh, who are 65 and over, they're naturally going to be uh, uh, responsible for a larger pie of crime and victims. Right. So, yeah, I talked to uh, Wataru Zaitsu, who's an expert on uh, criminology, and uh, he sort of gave me a, a summary of what's happening. Um, he essentially said that, you know, so the fall in crime over the years uh, can be explained to a certain extent with the, uh, the heightening of police presence that I mentioned before and uh, Japan's growing demographics, mm-hmm. so things that you mentioned. Okay. So he also added that Japan's police forces, uh, they need to adapt to this new era of digital crime, uh, like the cyber currency frauds, as well as the type of crime that rose in the pandemic, like uh, domestic and child abuse. And looking ahead, or actually this is already happening at this moment, but I think he said that the trend that he really notices that stands out right now is how uh, crime is now not so much out in the open, but happens inside, as in uh, where people can't really see them uh, either online or inside homes where child abuse or domestic violence cases happen. So I think this is one trend that he's noticing over the past years. That's interesting because it seems like there have been a few high-profile cases recently that have been very out in the open. And I'm thinking of those like alleged teenage robbers in Ginza last week. Uh, They were all over social media. Or the two recent attacks on prime ministers, one of them being Shinzo Abe, who, you know, passed away in that attack, and the other one who's Fumio Kishida. It's sort of too early to tell whether this is going to be a trend or if it's a one-off phenomenon. Um, I mean, the assassination attempts and the assassination and the burglaries are two different things. So I think it's sort of hard to sort of uh, combine them into one single phenomenon to sort of... Described. However, one of the experts I talked to in the story, he mentioned something interesting. He said that, so we had the pandemic era over the past two, three years where people were staying home and uh, online activity soared naturally. And now uh, people are coming back out and you see these uh, petty crimes, uh, break-ins, theft, mm. things like that. But this expert I talked to, he said um, it's very short-sighted, these crimes. Mm. It's not really thought out. Like, you know, you can't just go out into Ginza and... Uh, <laughs> smash and grab a uh, that was a watch shop right I think, yeah i guess yeah. so and expect to be uh not caught in full view of dozens of yeah. recording cell phones and the expert said that perhaps you know the several years uh the pandemic era and people just staying inside it sort of numbed their sense of you know what it takes to commit a crime and what entails uh, in the aftermath of committing a crime hmm. So a sense of reality, perhaps, has eroded. And that was an interesting sort of perception or opinion I heard um, among the expert I talked to. Um, Not sure if it's correct or not, but uh, (laughs) perhaps it has something to do with these crises. And finally, um, I think we shouldn't forget that the uh, number of crimes committed by the younger generation aren't really on the rise. Actually, they've been decreasing over the years, I think. Yeah. However, that's not the uh, the impression your everyday Japanese person would would have if they're watching the uh, TV shows and watching uh, the news where where they play up these crimes. Mm. So there's a big gap between uh, public perception towards crime and what's actually happening. Last year, we did see a small bump in the number of crimes recognized, around 5%. Next year, is that going to continue? We don't know. 
My guess is, considering the uh, the drop in crime uh, during the early years of the pandemic, we might see the rebound continue for some time. Mm-hmm. However, I can't imagine uh, the crime rate to uh, go up, back up significantly over the next uh, years, uh, primarily due to the demographics and the police presence. Right. Well, Alex Martin, thanks again for coming back on Deep Dive. Thank you, Sean. My thanks again to Alex, Tomoko, and Yukana. We'll put links to their stories and other reporting on cannabis in Japan in the show notes. Elsewhere in the Japan Times, this weekend marks the return of the Tokyo Game Show, and we've written up a guide to video game-related tourist spots in the capital, which are also good hangouts for locals too, of course. We've also written a few more game show-related articles for our website, so be sure to check those out. On Tuesday, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida used his address to the United Nations General Assembly to reiterate Japan's commitment to a rule-based international order and called for an overhaul of the nature of the UN Security Council. Japan currently holds a spot as a non-permanent member of the Council, and in Kishida's speech, he stressed the importance of prioritizing human security in the face of rampant division and polarization. A new COVID-19 vaccination drive began Wednesday that targets a spin-off of the XBB variant. The vaccine will be available for free and offered until March, though the health ministry is only actively recommending it to people with underlying health conditions or who are 65 and older. For more information on the vaccine and other news, head to japantimes.co.jp. Deep Dive from the Japan Times is produced by Dave Cortez. Our outgoing song is by Oscar Boyd. And the theme music is by 4L. I'm Sean McKenna. Otsukare-sama. Otsukare-sama.